0: Take that
1: Welcome to Hunting Humbug 101 with me Theo Clark And I'm joined again as per usual with my co-host Ben G'day Ben, how are you?
2: Hey Theo, I'm good, how are you doing?
1: Really well. Uh, it's good to be back. We've been a bit slack. We haven't done an original episode for a while, Um, so we're we're back in the swing of things. I've, I've been really busy with work, and Ben, you've been pretty busy with the university, haven't you?
2: Yeah, that's right. So right in the middle of exams right now, actually.
1: So. No, well, you know, exams, they're not that important. Yeah. They're pretty easy uh, as well, yeah. <laughs> <no>. <laughs> um, So, well, they're easy for me because I don't have to do them anymore. Actually, I, I, I help write them now, so that's always fun, yeah. Hey, um, so what we're going to look at in this episode is it's going to be one on the uh, a fallacy or flawed flawed bit of reasoning, uh, dodgy, deceptive argument called bad faith. Um, so it's really a uh, one that uh, my father Jeff and I coined um, because it's really, it's not a flawed in, flaw in reasoning, but it's just a kind of a dodgy tactic that people sometimes use or something to be on the lookout for and something that's worth calling people for. Sorry, what was that?
2: A rhetorical technique.
1: Yeah, and something that also um, uh, I think you've you got to be careful, and we'll talk about this later on with, with um, impugning people's motives, um, but hopefully the examples we've got are pretty clear examples of someone acting in bad faith, and that way we can we can hopefully distinguish between, you know, the risk you have when you call someone on of, of impugning motives, and then a r- pretty well evidence-based case for saying that someone's acting in bad faith or acting in bad faith. So, uh, but without, um, let's just get on first of all because we haven't done this fallacy before uh, on the original episode run of the episodes. I'll start with a reading uh, from the book. Bad faith, other terms and or related concepts, hypocrisy, duplicity, deception, two-faced. Description, the advocate knowingly takes an unprincipled position or carries out an unprincipled action while disingenuously claiming to be motivated by principle. Bad faith is similar in nature to many other types of humbug, but the key difference is that the advocate knowingly acts in an unprincipled fashion, out of pure self-interest. Before accusing an opponent of bad faith, it is important to make a reasonable effort to ascertain that one is not merely imputing their motives. Example, Daryl Morey is the spokesperson for an organisation that purports to provide education on the subject of vaccines. Morey's group is facing increased criticism and government scrutiny. He is giving an interview on a radio program to limit the negative press. The host, Nancy Mitchell, has just asserted that Maury's group is an anti-vaccination lobby and not interested in education. Maury responds by saying, We are not, never have been anti-vaccination. We are pro-information, pro-choice and a health safety watchdog. Mitchell has prepared for this. She responds, I thought you might deny being a vaccine denier. So I did a bit of research. Here's what you've said in the past. And I quote, better hygiene and better nutrition is the reason why we've seen this decline. It has nothing to do with vaccination. Vaccines don't work. Vaccines are dangerous. Vaccines are instruments of death. Doctors, pharma companies, government officials are murderers. Vaccines are poisons. Maury responds. Well, you need to see these quotes in context, and some of them are quite old. We don't advocate one way or the other. We just want more research. Mitchell lifts up a T-shirt from under the table and says, Well, I just received this T-shirt from your online store. On it is a picture of a child crying and an exaggerated oversized needle with the slogan, Love them, protect them, never inject them. You, sir, are a lying hypocrite. Discussion. Bad faith involves the adoption of a moral posture which is false. Other more simple descriptors can describe such a posture. Duplicitous a scumbag comes to mind. But bad faith is a term which is worthwhile advancing for its precision of meaning and emotional coolness. Calling someone a just du- a scumbag can be provocative, whereas claiming that they're acting in bad faith may be or ought to be more tolerable. In the example above, Maury initially seems to be a genuine and reasonable person who acts as if he truly believes he's providing the public with balanced information. As Mitchell quickly demonstrates, nothing could be further from the truth. Maury is a deliberately deceiving stylist who has already made up his mind. As the quotes and t-shirt demonstrate, he rationalises his view with a straw man argument, motive impugning, paranoid conspiracy thinking, and simple-minded certitude. When a person engages in debate or argument purely to win, such as a lawyer or debater, then bad faith is not an issue, even when they use sophisticated knowledge of fallacies to wrong-foot an opponent. However, when the same person maintains that their motives are pure in the service of truth alone, then bad faith is involved. Other examples. A journalist acts in bad faith when they claim to be reporting news, while in reality they create news by provoking newsworthy incidents. A researcher acts in bad faith when they claim to be researching a topic to discover un- underlying reality, while in reality they discard and don't report results which don't support their cherished hypothesis. A peace activist acts in bad faith when they express public anguish at the death of non-combatants, while privately delighting in such casualties, as civilian deaths add weight to their position on armed conflict. A Prime Minister acts in bad faith when they appoint someone who doesn't believe in God as Archbishop of Canterbury. The atheist Archbishop preaching, with the apparent sincerity, from a pulpit about the resurrection and life everlasting, would also be acting in bad faith. Well, duh. An intergalactic space lord acts in bad faith when in order to catch some allied rebels, he concocts a deal with one of their old acquaintances, who is now governor of a space colony they are due to arrive at, and then after capturing them, he reneges and alters the terms of the deal. One can only pray he doesn't alter it any further. So that was a reading from the book about bad faith, Um, and... I think the important point there, Ben, really is the the difference between uh, accusing someone of acting in bad faith and just imputing their motives. So in all those examples, you, they've all been they've all there's some evidence provided that kind of demonstrates that they're acting in bad faith. So it's not just simply um, just accusing them of you know imputing uh, saying they're motivated by X, Y, and Z, but you're actually saying, hey, look, here's an here's some a, a reason for accusing them of acting in bad faith besides just you know speculating on their motives.
2: Yeah, it, it seems. It seems to me uh, this is kind of closely related to. Um, actually, there is, It reminds me of a, a philosophical essay I read years ago called "On Bullshit," actually, and the uh, by a guy by the name of Harry Frankfurt.
1: And he, oh yeah. Yep. Yep.
2: He makes the point that um, that bullshitters don't care about the truth. They're They they actually are indifferent to it, and their entire source of their rhetoric, I suppose, or their argument, comes from some kind of uh, notion of advantage for themselves.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
2: I, I suppose I suppose that in that sense, bullshitters are exhibiting bad faith.
1: As yeah, definitely. A yeah, yeah.
2: The liar who cares about the truth and is trying to conceal it, the bullshitter is indifferent to it.
1: Yeah, and and again, I don't have too much of a problem with that if you acknowledge you're a bullshitter. You know what I mean? It's when they try and fake that they're not, all that and they're really acting like they're acting in the service of a greater truth or something like that. And um and of course that could be a bit of self justification. Given I've sometimes known as a bullshitter myself, uh, but really what I, what I think it is and it comes down to this is there are certain things that um, we make certain value judgments about what's important to be truthful about and what isn't. Um, and when you're knowingly deceiving the public or, or people to, you know, for your own advantage, um, then really that's when it starts becoming unethical, especially when it's around things like, you know, politics and health and things that have an impact on people's lives as well. And that's a, that's a real problem. And I suppose that's a good segue into, um the reason why I picked this as a, as a fallacy to look at was because, um, in the last, and uh, probably most people who listen to this podcast have already uh, aware of this was when, um, Dr. Roz, the uh, you know, self promoting TV show host, uh, was recently asked to appear in front of a Senate hearing, uh, in the US, and he had to talk about really, it was about dietary supplements, um, but anyway, in particular, uh, the TV show uh, this week, no, it's called Last Week Tonight um, with John Oliver. They did had a good look at it. So I've got a kind of a cut down bit of the audio from um, Last Week Tonight to have a listen to with Dr. Oz facing the Senate hearing. And then after that, I've actually then got also I I went and got some of the original um, footage from the Senate hearing as well, and then cut down a little bit of that. So let's have a listen to Dr. Oz facing um, down some senators in the US.
2: With his syndicated TV show, magazine, and website, Dr. Oz has become one of America's most trusted docs. But on Capitol Hill Tuesday, he was on the hot seat.
0: Excuse me, but any seat Dr. Oz is sitting on is the hot seat. seat seat. So, what did the doctor do?
3: They criticized the talk show host for describing untested weight
1: loss supplements as magical or miraculous.
3: I want you to write it down. Garcinia cambogia because it may be the simple solution you've been looking for to bust your body fat for good Now I've got the number one miracle in a bottle to burn your fat lightning in a bottle It's a miracle flower to fight fat Miracle flowers are you a doctor or an old west traveling salesman?
0: (laughs) Have I got something miraculous for you ladies and gentlemen a monkey's paw mixed with five petals of a rose and a thimble full of otter semen (laughs) Guaranteed to cure l- your lombargo. step right up, step right up here. <laughs> the Senate hearing was about the marketing of dietary supplements, and unfortunately, no one is more effective at that than Dr. Oz. <laughs> the, the only problem with the Dr. Oz effect is that magic pills don't technically exist, and Dr. Oz knows that.
3: Do you believe that there's a miracle pill out there? There's not a pill that's going to help you long-term lose weight and live the best life without diet and exercise. Do you believe there's a magic weight loss cure out there? The the word, if you're selling something because it's magical, no.
0: Right, right. That, (laughs) That would be ridiculous. No one is claiming there's a magic pill out there. That would be stupid.
3: This little bean has scientists saying they found a magic weight loss cure for every body type.
0: See, he never said there was a magic pill. He said there was a magic bean. (laughs) That's clearly entirely different because magic beans are a very real thing that you trade your cow for so you can steal a golden harp from a giant. That's science. And by the way, a recent study found the main ingredient in those magic beans not only failed to help lab mice, it gave them the early symptoms of diabetes though if you're a lab mouse with diabetes you got off easy good luck getting any sympathy in the lab mouse support group oh, oh i'm sorry you can't have any candy i've got an ear growing out of my fucking back <laughs> jeff's got herpes sorry jeff here's here's the issue dr oz is a doctor and one with degrees from two ivy league schools And to give Dr. Oz the benefit of overwhelming medical doubt, he seems to
3: be standing by some of his claims. I actually do personally believe in the, in the items that I talk about in the show. I, I passionately study them. Uh, I recognize that oftentimes they don't have the scientific muster to present uh, as fact. But that's the whole point. You're presenting it as a
0: doctor. If you, if you want to keep spouting this bullshit, that's fine. But don't call it you show Dr. Oz, call it, check this shit out with some guy named Mehmet. The problem is, That's... it's a good title, to be fair. <laughs> None of this, though. None of this answers the key Dr. Oz question. Now, he says he wasn't paid to mention any particular products.
3: So, why say those things on TV at all? In an intent to engage viewers, I used flowery language. I used language that was very passionate. That makes sense, because we're all looking for flowery
0: language from our physicians. (laughs) Like the sunlight shines upon the hidden grassy meadow, so does chlamydia cast a warm glow (laughs) upon your private parts.
1: I love that. Some of these piss takes, but brilliant, eh? Magic beans. <laughs> yeah. So that was from the, uh, the John Oliver show, and I've also got a little bit, before we talk about it, I'll just play another bit from another YouTube clip I found that had the, uh, the whole, se- or you know, a couple of minutes of the Senate hearing as well, another little bit I think is quite important.
4: Now, here's three statements you made on your show. You may think magic is make-believe, but this little bean has scientists saying they found the magic weight loss cure for every body type, it's green coffee extract. Quote, I've got the number one miracle in a bottle, to burn your fat, it's raspberry ketone. Quote, Garcinia cambogia, it may be the simple solution you've been looking for, to bust your body fat for good. I don't get why you need to say this stuff because you know it's not true. So why, when you have this amazing megaphone and this amazing ability to communicate, why would you cheapen your show by saying things like that?
3: But, but... Senator McCaskill, we can spend a lot of time arguing the merits of whether green coffee and extract is worth trying or not worth trying. Uh, Many of the things that we argue that you do with regard to your diet are likewise criticizable. Should you be on a low-fat diet, a low-carb diet? I have spent a good part of my career recommending that folks have a low-fat diet. We've come full circle in that argument now, no longer recommend that uh, many of us who practice medicine because we realized it wasn't working for our patients. So it is remarkably complex, as you know, to figure out what works for most people even in a dietary program.
1: Okay, so that was uh, the Dr. Oz um, facing down a Senate inquiry. And the thing that I really get from all that is on his show, when he has complete control of what he says and he's not being held to any particular standard except for the standards of entertainment, he's happy to say things are, you know, miracle cures. And basically, you know, as we outlined at the beginning, when we're looking at motivation and things like that. So, obviously, Dr. Oz on his show is motivated by, you know, trying to have stories to tell and things like that. And he's a doctor. And, of course, what's his interest to a lot of people is diet and weight and all that kind of stuff. Um and-
2: advertising products that <laughs> he might be getting paid to
1: Yeah, maybe. We're we not impune motives. So. No, apparently he doesn't get paid to to do those things. And that's fine because why he doesn't need to because his show is, yeah. is where he's that I, I mean I, I don't think it's that. I think really it's just because I think it's a daily show. So if you put yourselves in the positions of someone trying to do a medical show every day of the week, um, they're just desperately trying to find stories to do, you know. So and and if they don't do it if they don't um you know, talk up, um, uh, you know, things like um, the, the, you know, use that kind of language and things like that. It's not as exciting. It is interesting to people. You know, if you just say, if you speak like a real doctor or real scientist and you say, well, here's a here's a drug that they've done a, some my initial clinical trials that might show some things for this, you know, that's not good entertainment. So um, that's the issue around doing that. So... Well-
2: if, if if you actually ever do watch his show, I did watch it once for some stupid reason, yep. They have at the beginning and at the end, when they're rolling the credits, they have the Miranda quack warning. Yep. Letting people know in the fine print that what they're selling you is probably bullshit.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yep. <laughs> yeah, so the thing they captured really well with um the, the audio there was his. He's sat, what he said on the program, which is he's a miracle cure, he's a simple cure that will fix every single body type. And then, you know, John Oliver picked that up. But then, in that last clip I picked out, as he, he says, as you know, it's really complicated, it's not simple. So, he's got on one hand on his TV program, he's saying it's really simple and it works for everyone. But then, when he's held to a higher standard, which is a standard he's under oath when he's appearing in front of the Senate. He then says, "Oh no, this stuff doesn't work for most people. It's very complicated, and so on." So, that to me is the clear difference. Is you say to someone, "If you were under oath, what would you now say?" You know, and and that really called he was he was held to account in that case there.
2: And there and, they're, and he, he's quite obviously bullshitting as well. It's like yeah, he does, he really doesn't want to admit that what he actually thinks, as opposed to what he says in the show, is different, does he? But they kind of really don't give him the option to worm his way out of it.
1: Yeah, and he, the closest he comes to worming his way out, he says, well, I really believe these things do work, even though there's no scientific evidence for them. And he says, you know, later on, he says, oh, I got my staff to try it and things like that. It's like, oh, yeah, okay, so what? I mean, if it's all probably fairly harmless to try most of this stuff. But, yeah, clearly um, he's, he's acting in bad faith on his TV program. And then when he's put under under um, uh, you know, oath, he then changes his tune.
2: I, I think um, getting getting back to the uh, the general issue of bad faith, Theo, the, there's something else I um, saw during the week that reminded me of it, which is particularly relevant considering that the low opinion that most people hold politicians in. It was to do with the um, – we've kind of been insulated a bit from it here in Australia, but the entire net neutrality debate.
1: Oh, in the US, yeah, um, yep,
2: yep. Yeah, which I think John Oliver has covered as well.
1: Yeah, he has, but, yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, One of my my favourite cartoons, The Oatmeal, had a fantastic webcomic this week to do with the uh, Republican Senator Ted Cruz, who is basically um, comparing net neutrality to Obamacare for the internet, while at the same time, he has been taking huge amounts of money from the um, biggest US cable companies. So... There's a kind of when, he, when he's like saying that net neutrality is some kind of implying a some kind of socialism.
1: Oh yeah, so complete. The, so me, yeah, yeah. So it, we should probably um, uh, say that for another podcast, really, because we could do a whole one on that. But the, I mean, the reason why I don't want to get into the, I don't like into the net neutrality stuff is I've heard enough about it to know it's more complicated than I bloody understand. But clearly, in this particular case, it's such partisan politics. To, it's like. It has nothing to do with health, the, the healthcare system at all. And it's a really obvious straw man and it's a really um, depressing example, again, as you said, of the, the problems with politics, which is you almost automatically take a bad faith position by being a politician. Well, it's like, mean,
2: the, the, the entire lobby industry would disappear overnight if donating money to politicians had no effect.
1: Sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Yep.
2: I don't know why anyone pretends that it is anything other than it is.
1: Yeah, there's um an internet guy. Oh, I'm trying to think who is not who it is. Um, is it uh. Uh, I'm, uh, his name escapes me now he's one of the um founding fathers of the um is it vic something or other vince vince is it vince surf i think he's doing a thing on trying to get reform campaign finances and that's the thing he's just really working oh, on at the yeah. moment in the u.s uh, yeah yeah and so that's really i mean we gave a little bit of that in australia but I, it's nowhere near to the same level as it is in the u.s um i mean clearly some of the, the laws that come through you always you look at them and go well it, 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 it who benefits and you go well you know some of the um the anti-piracy, store, sorry, the uh, government metadata retention stuff. they're claiming it's about terrorism, but really, the back of your head, you're thinking, oh, sure, isn't it more to do with the fact that Australia's the number one country for piracy in the world? So, just by coincidence, I'll have the metadata about what people are downloading as well and what torrent sites they hit. So, um, you uh, know, you've got yeah,
2: of, um, of mission creep,
1: in yeah, and bait and switch as well here. Yeah. Yep. yeah,
2: mission creep is just in, and security theatre. It's just endemic in any kind of. Uh, what would you say, approaches to this issue of security and that sort of thing?
1: Oh, yeah, and, and just how government works in general and things work in general. Anyway, you start off with a little thing you want to do and then, of course, once you've done that, you go, what are we going to do next? And then you start bringing the next things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But look, because we've we've gone into politics, what I'll do is we'll um, – we'll, this is going to be my third example. Well, let's make it the second example. Um, this was uh, our the Australian Treasurer, Joe Hockey, and this was a while ago now, um, but it was a good little example I found where I thought – he said something and it was really jumped upon immediately and taken a little bit out of context. And, 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 the, and so I'm actually criticising more the people who um, criticised him for acting in bad faith. Uh, but then again, I'm as we'll talk about later on, there's some truth to the criticism as well. So I'm kind of half defending him. I, I, I generally don't like defending any politicians, but um, this one I thought was a good example of what happens with the media immediately and why it's such a, t- a part of the problem with politics really is They can't say what they mean because if they make a slip-up, then it gets used against them in another way too. So um, anyway, let's have a listen to our uh, Treasurer Joe Hockey talking about um, one of the measures in the budget.
4: Now, I'll give you one example. The change to fuel excise. The people that actually pay the most are higher income people with an increase in fuel excise. And yet, and yet... The Labor Party and the Greens are opposing it. They say you've got to have wealthier people or middle-income people pay more. Well, and change to the fuel excise does exactly that. The poorest people either don't have cars or actually don't drive very far in many cases, but we are actually, you know, they're opposing what is meant to be, uh, according to the Treasury, uh, a, a, a progressive tax.
1: Joe, 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 Joe. Poor choice of words there. <laughs>
2: very, very poor choice. Very naive. Poor
1: choice. Yeah. Well, you can almost tell he, yeah, he started after saying it too. So you could tell he was like, oh, yeah, this might not have been the right thing to say.
2: <laughs> I, this, um, I was just going to say, uh, this is like a perfect example of um, innumeracy at work. And
4: stuff. Yeah. Yeah
1: yeah
2: using absolute values as opposed to relative values.
1: that's right yeah 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 and, and so we'll get to that in a second I just what I, what I want to talk about really is the the context of the quote was that the increase in fuel tax will hit high incomes owners earners more because on average but they own more cars they drive them more et cetera, et cetera. now assuming that that's true that's a trivial fact now he didn't put it as well. By saying you know poor people don't have cars because people kind of took offense to that and the what the bad faith really is what i want to talk about is when the opposition political parties just immediately jumped on it as arrogant and he's a cigar chomping foghorn leghorn of australian politics that kind of stuff and really what i, what I felt about it was if you took the intent of what he was saying and on face value he wasn't being like that um he was just trying to say that by raising, and you know, again, if you're thinking about climate change and stuff like that, raising the cost of petrol is a good idea in terms of trying to make people drive less and use, and use less their cars less because then they're having less greenhouse gas emissions and so on. Um, but really the, the bad faith, I think, is the way people deliberately take a statement a politician makes and try and use it against them. Now, I understand that's how politics works, I'm not naive, but it's just a sad fact that you can't have an open, honest debate um, without people jumping on and mischaracterising people immediately and so on. Now. The bit you're going to add, I'm sure, is that of course that's not the issue. You don't look at it as just the absolute value. You got to look at it as what is a proportion of people's incomes.
2: Yes, that's right. Yeah, it, it's um as it, you as you as you as you stated, it's it's trivially true that uh, higher income earners spend more money in general than than uh, low income earners. So I don't I don't. The, the point he was trying to make was made very awkwardly, and he was.
1: Yeah, and as you said, he was he was spitting the statistics to his point of view and so he was correct. they do um, do that. but then as a percentage of income, it's much less and so it doesn't hurt them as much yeah.
2: Yeah, so I think you've got some figures around this, don't you see?
1: Yeah, so I think um, the figures that that were put out, I think by the Treasury and so on and stuff like that were um, uh, that you know uh, absolute spending is higher for high income households, but when you put it as a percentage of income, Um, households in the highest quartile spent 1.37% on petrol and lowest in the lowest quintile spent um, 4.54%. So i.e. they're spending almost, you know, four or five times as much um, on petrol as anyone else. And so, of course, um, that's a huge increase then. So it could be, um, you know, basically rich people have over 11 times the income of poor people. So when they've got that, it, the increase in petrol is not, not really a big deal for them compared to poor people. But again, the the issue really, it was just, I picked it as a ex- recent example because politicians are in a rock and a hard place where they can't talk honestly and openly about things. For, and so they always couch their, their, what their language in flowery language. They, they, they've got slogans they stick to because well, they, if they, they stick on message. Life.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Immediate. That trains them not to actually to say anything and that
1: can yeah. be used against
2: them. Yeah, this this re- just reminded me of another speech made by another uh, unpopular politician, the um the the no known knowns speech that Rumsfeld, Donald Rumsfeld.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. to go to do with the second Gulf War, I believe. Yeah, and um like and he he, he said there's there's no known knowns, there's unknown. Knowns and then there's um, known unknowns and that is yep. that that is just uh, that that is uh, a term of art used in risk management. Yeah. Yep. So and what he said was perfectly uh, acceptable, but people took that to him for him trying to uh, speak in some kind of Orwellian doublespeak.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And mercilessly mocking him about and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and so really what, what I'm trying to say is when um, uh, people, you you know, say something, if you are taking them out of context or if you're not trying to understand their point of view fairly, then you're actually acting in bad faith yourself if you're just trying to win it to score political points. And, you know, it's one of those things where um, I think Daniel Dennett in his book um, uh, Intuition Pumps talks about actually having um, uh, people actually explaining back to someone their own position. So, well, they say, hey, you explained my position better than me. Yeah, and so that's that's when you're trying to actually understand them and not acting in bad faith then.
2: Well, I mean, and this goes in hand in hand with like uh, making sure that you're not um, arguing against a straw man too, doesn't
1: it? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yep. Yeah, no, it's really important, I think, to um, take that into account. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's look at um, – I've got one more example. And this one, it goes back more into the health area um, – this is uh, one that uh, sceptics will be fairly familiar with. It's um, to do with the journalist and writer, uh, author Simon Singh, and his um, when he was sued by the British Chiropractor Association for libel about an article he wrote in uh, The Guardian. He wrote an article where he basically said um, something along the lines of, uh, there's not a jot of evidence for the efficacy of anything besides back pain with chiropractic, and the Chiropractic Association happily promotes these bogus therapies, and, and that's what he was sued for, in particular, um, basic... Well, look, I'll just play the audio of Simon um, talking about um, his, his law, lawsuit.
4: Who still hold on to this belief they can treat children's conditions? Ear infections, colic, and asthma. And I published this article two years ago and the result was um I got sued for libel. It's a long story, but I'll go through it very, very quickly. Um it was April the nineteenth, um, two thousand and eight. It was in The Guardian. Uh the following month I got a letter from the British Chiropractic Association arrived right through the doorstep, and they pointed out that they were going to sue me personally for this article unless I apologized. Um so I, I ran to the Guardian offices, I had this letter, I said, look, the The Guardian are going to sue, uh, sorry, the the British Chiropractic Association are going to sue me personally. What are we going to do? And they said, not so quick with the we. (laughs) Uh, um, um, Initially, they they were very helpful. The Guardian offered the BCA a right of reply. If you disagree with Simon's ideas, um, if you think he's missing out on some data, present your ideas in the newspaper. If you think you need a clarification, we can do that. Um, The Guardian even offered to apologize. Um, but the BCA wanted me to apologize personally, and I wasn't going to apologize for an article which I thought was, was important and fair and accurate. Uh, after about a year, we got to a preliminary hearing. This is how slow the libel system works. And the preliminary hearing was about the meaning of the article. Before we go to trial, let's let's decide the meaning of the article, and let's decide what possible defenses might be allowable to me. Now, the problem here is that we've got a very, very bad ruling. The judge said uh, that I was not saying just that these treatments didn't work, not just that the British Chiropractic Association was being reckless, but that they were actually being dishonest, that they were deliberately offering treatments that they knew full well did not work. Now, I don't think that's what my article said. Um, so we appealed, we got rejected, uh, we appealed, applied to appeal again and got rejected again. Third time, we were lucky, we were given permission to appeal. And just uh, on April the 1st, just three weeks ago, the Court of Appeal gave its decision. And, and they very much backed my interpretation of my own article. Um, um, which, which was a huge relief. Um, and it was, it, I don't know, I'm obviously biased. But I think when people read my article, um, it was quite clear what I was saying. And sure enough, all three judges backed my interpretation. Um, and they also said I could defend the article using what's called fair comment. Um, fair comment means as long as you've got reasonable grounds, you've got some evidence, it's an honestly held opinion, then that's a sufficient defense. Doesn't mean you can say what you like, it doesn't mean you can be malicious, it doesn't mean you can be reckless. But, but, but you can, as long as it's a reasonable thing to say, that's enough defense. And in fact, they said if any scientist is hauled up in front of a libel court, that would be sufficient defense. Fair comment.
1: So I think that's another really good example uh, because if the, and again, I don't want to impugn their motives because I don't want to get sued, uh, but if, um, you know, based on the way he wrote his article and what he said, uh, to me it clearly was fair comment. And in particular, the the use of a lawsuit to shut down criticism, I think in itself is acting in bad faith because The Guardian offered them a right of reply, multiple times you know they said put up your evidence where's your evidence and so on in a free open and democratic society which we would think um england is and we'd think australia is and the us is um that level of debate around the scientific discussion of the efficacy of any particular therapy should be open and free um to me when i read his article it he wasn't impugning their motives in a way i thought it just said happily promotes these bogus therapies so of course you know i don't think he's saying that To me, I mean, I agreed with his original interpretation. I didn't see how anyone could see anything different. Um, And the fact that the chiropractic association sued instead of accepted the right of reply said to me that they weren't um, they weren't prepared to stand behind their own claims. They'd rather to shut down the comment and debate in the first place.
4: Yeah.
2: So, and I don't know. How would you characterise it? They there's there's kind of two two kinds of bad faith going on here, isn't there, Theo? Because there's, there's there's firstly the one that they're kind of refusing to stand behind their own claims. And then they're kind of accusing Simon Singh of having bad faith as well and making an argument in bad faith in the newspaper.
1: Yeah, that's right. They are actually, you're right. Yeah, and I hadn't thought of it that way, but of course they are. Yeah, they're, they're actually saying he's acting in bad faith. And you say, well, um, you know, from their point of view, they, they – look – from the point of view of someone being criticised, obviously you prefer not to be criticised. Um, but, you know, if you think you are right and if you think you've got the evidence behind your, um, you know, you, the claims you're making, then you you should be happy to defend them in, in a public forum. And they kind of said that they were, but then they but then it's like, well, their actions don't don't um, back that up. And they really wanted to shut it, shut him down. And then, of course, what they were saying was he was um, impugning their motives and saying that they were, you know, basically were scammers. And you go, well a fair reading of that i mean i i don't you know, I'd be it'd be one of those things we almost say well, why don't we survey 200 people and get them to interpret it i mean in my view i'm not one of those english relativists who goes um you know once an author writes something or an artist paints something it's out there for the world to interpret however they want i mean that's probably objectively true and that people do interpret it how they want but fundamentally i think you've got to take the artist or the author's word on what they meant by it um and if someone's misinterpreting it then that's their own fault you know um, and I, I'd certainly say that Simon Singh's views on things have always been forwarded as he as this is what the evidence says um, now make up your own mind based on the evidence but not uh, and certainly um, don't you know the I think people who do X are you know f- deliberately fraudulent which is what they were implying that he he, he what they'd yeah. said he was implying yeah but you know look, in the end it worked out okay in particular. I mean the UK libel system is a bit crazy too They're around the they have a, they had a hearing before the thing went to court to decide what he meant. So you're kind of like, well, how does that work? like the whole the whole case is about what he meant not if you're having a hearing to decide what he meant and you agree that's what he meant, then game over, you know what I mean like <laughs> it's a very very strange system, but anyway luckily he got he got through that as well yeah. Um,
2: isn't the law being reformed?
1: I think it has been since then. They, it kicked up a lot of stink in particular. Um, uh, he points out in the rest of that clip that the judges that said it, they said basically we never want to see a scientist up here again being accused of something because the whole point of science is to have an open and honest debate. And again, I think as long as you're not actually saying that, you know, person X knowingly deceive people and you don't have any evidence for that, then you should be okay because that's what, you know, libel and um, slander is all about. It's it's about you you making a claim about the actions or acts of someone else that's not not substantiated you know that it casts them in a bad light or may cause them to you know lose business and things like that so um it's certainly um yeah not in the case of just an article in the in the guardian where you're just looking at the evidence against you know for or against something yeah so but yeah look so in those different examples really i I think what we've we've tried to show is that each version of bad faith um really it's not about um, you're you're guessing about the motives for someone else. you need to say this is what you said. And in this case, and now this is what you're saying here or this here's the evidence for what you think or what you know. and you are actually clearly showing um, the relationship between uh, you know an initial position someone had and then the realistic position they really do have. and it's not as simple as just impugning their motives, you know saying that um uh, you have been paid off by big farmer or something like that. you actually need to have some evidence for the claim you're making against someone.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: Okay um and look you anything else to add there Ben?
2: Uh, no, I was gonna say I think that's about it for that one isn't it?
1: Yeah, I think we have pretty much covered that one quite well so um, look uh, we'll sign off there um, again we will which which over the next bit of time um, hopefully we'll have a bit more time to make sure we continually uh, produce a every second podcast is a new one. Uh, we have got to be behind there around um, you know work and exams, but over the uh, the summer in Australia the summer, holidays and all that stuff we should be able to pump out a few more um and so thanks for subscribing if you can leave us a review on itunes or just give us a rating obviously only if it's good don't if you don't like it then why even listen to this show uh and or unless you hate listen to it because i know some people like to hate watch tv shows and things like that but um sorry ben did you want to say something else
2: uh i was what was i going to say sorry man i forgot <laughs>
1: that's all right i kept i kept blathering on over the top here um all right look uh, thanks for that ben yep actually sorry
2: i was gonna say it's uh it's getting very tiring creating sock puppets to uh,
1: yeah, that's, that's right i know I know. it takes a lot of bloody effort you know and i'm just a bit i'm losing my creativity with the naming as well i'm just yeah, like theo the names- clark one theo clark two theo clark three i'm sitting there starting to give it away um actually what we should do is uh name ourselves after some of the people we criticize them mean, the things. so i might be dr oz one i really enjoyed yeah. the the podcast on bad faith you nailed me <laughs> i am a dodgy bastard <laughs> i think we'll have to do that for sure <laughs> okay look uh until the next podcast um you've been listening to hunting humbug 101